0: welcome to Lightmap by Sifter. This is our first episode for 2022. Lightmap is a interview podcast where we talk to people doing interesting creative things in interactive media and video games. And on this episode we're talking about something slightly different. Uh, normally we'd bring you a game and would feature that. Um, we of course will be talking about a brand new game uh, that's due to come out this year uh, called Wood and Weather. But This conversation is more about the process of making games and what impact that has on the environment. My guests on this episode are Terry Burdack from Melbourne's Paper House and Dr Ben Abraham, a researcher who is just about to release a book uh, that looks at the full carbon impact of the game development industry. And spoiler alert, it's not great. Uh, Paper House have decided to track their entire carbon output from start to finish for their new game, Wood and Weather.
1: Wood and Weather is uh, like a silly, a silly light god game um, that has a basically has a look at a kind of wooden Melbourne and um, kind of unexpected and unplanned weather. Um, we haven't, we've deliberately not said too much because we're still, we're still developing it, and um, you know we want to, we want to make sure that. We we have the right messaging when we when we're in a better position, I think. So yeah, we're keeping it. We're keeping the descriptions pretty light at the moment. But yeah.
0: Well, can you tell me a little bit? I guess how your studio has kind of changed since paperback has come out? Because I remember we played it um, pretty early on before it came out. There was like an open day at the arcade just before Games Week one year, and you know that game has. It's one of the ones that I hold up as an example of. Here's what it like. If you want to look at what a typical Australian game is, a game that could only really, I feel, be made by by Australians uh, and tell an Australian story. Um, But has your studio sort of evolved and and changed over the time to to be where you are now?
1: Oh, it's changed so much. It's changed so, so much. So basically, um, we were all insanely burnt out from from making paper bark. Like that game almost killed us. We were very naive and very (laughs) under-resourced. And um, we just we just absolutely worked ourselves to death to make that game, and so after that we all just needed to do other things. We just so we just dispersed. Um, you know, Nina has um, gone off to to uh, work in another local studio, um, which she's really has been enjoying and has been doing that for the last couple of years. Um, Ryan has gone off um, to to. Work with various other teams, um, but most recently he's been working with Route 59 um, and he was working on Necrobarista. He ended up being one of the lead developers on that. Um, and I had, have worked, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I've worked in um, a bunch of different aspects of the games industry, the local games industry, because I wanted to learn a lot about that. So, um, you know, I worked at the GDAA, I worked at League of Geeks, um i worked for two point um and most recently in the last couple of years i've been working with local indies in helping them get various aspects of their games together to kind of package them up into a nice little commercial thing so that's been really interesting and so we've all been kind of doing that our own little thing but we've still been kind of keeping the wheels turning on on the studio um and then uh when I was wrapping up with GCAP and GDAA, I started working on a prototype, uh, which was Wooden Weather. And it was just a, a little project I was kind of working on. And I approached Jack early on, because I saw Jack's artwork on Twitter. And I wanted it to be based in a city. And he did these wonderful Copic illustrations. Like they They were incredible. And I was like, oh, this guy's artwork's fantastic. I'm going to reach out to him and just see if he'd be interested in doing some concepting for this game. And he was living in England at the time. And I thought he was like some cool English guy, you know, bashing out some copics and stuff. But it turns out that he's just like a Melbourne RMIT alumni. (laughs) And he's like, you know, best mates with Josh from Two Point, who's one of, one of my good mates and shit. Like, he's just a Melbourne guy. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> what about – yeah, yeah, like, oh, my God. And so, yeah, so Jack um, started doing a bunch of concepting and stuff. And then Sam started finishing up at Mountains. And we've been good mates for years and we wanted to work together. And so I just said, "Hey, what are you reckoning about coming on? And maybe we could go for some funding and try to build it into something a bit bit bigger." And yeah, so we've we've kind of been doing that. We got really hit. I'm not sure if this is what you wanted to hear. It's kind of a big story. Like it's been a couple of years. <laughs> um, but basically, um, yeah, we we started. We got some initial kind of seed funding from Film Vic, which was really good. Um, and we had heaps of ambition and ideas for what we're going to do in 2019 and then COVID hit. And so, you know, flights canceled, studio closed down, like everything. And and we just had to, we just had to basically stop really. We just, we were working really hard, but then it just, it just was too, too difficult for us to just pivot. Um, So we all started just kind of doing other things for a little bit. And then we um, we picked it back up again once everyone kind of finished their projects so that, that they picked up. And yeah, so we, we went for FilmVic funding again and we decided to just kind of go all in and try and self-publish. And yeah, we, we were successful with that funding. And so since then, we've now um, hired... Um, Caitlin Cronin as producer so she's come on Um, and we've also hired Cole Williams as a support artist and so so now there's like a new team so Ryan and Nina are still on the scene doing doing like businessy stuff and helping out with paperback stuff Um, but there's like a whole new team for for Wooden Weather basically Um, and now we also have a new studio which we will be showing soon as well we're still kind of Building that up, but um, there's going to like a an actual physical space, and there's going to be a, a kind of public facing element to it as well, which is unannounced. But yeah, so that's kind of what we've been doing last last year is kind of just slowly
0: slowly building back up um, and rebuilding from from COVID. Really, the I guess the thing that I've noticed is that you know that environmental message is pretty core through everything that you do terry in particular anyone who's followed you on twitter for about five minutes knows that this is an important thing for you um but now working into the studio that's kind of where ben you kind of come in can you tell me a little bit about this project that you're you're doing in order to really measure the impact uh, that uh, your company and this game has on on the environment
2: so terry and i have been friends for a couple of years like a long time long time and I, I knew that he had a similar interest to me in kind of minimizing our, our kind of environmental impact and, and carbon footprint when I finished my book a couple of months ago it's with the publisher now um, i I wanted to kind of take some of the knowledge that I'd kind of obtained basically by doing this research and um, and actually see what we could do with with game developers to actually like kind of reduce some of the the kind of impacts that game development has but the very first step of that is actually to find out how big the scope is of emissions Um, so as part of my kind of book research i gathered a bunch of data from developers directly but they really only told me like a little snapshot of um of how much kind of energy they used and, and things like that so one of the ideas I had was to to do a more kind of detailed project where we actually track from beginning to end how much energy is consumed over maybe the lifetime of the development process because that could potentially reveal that <clears throat> maybe um, maybe there's a lot more power used towards the end of the process or maybe it's all towards the beginning or or maybe it's exactly the same across the whole lot. But whatever whatever that ends up being that will tell us some really important things about how game developers can reduce um, and then potentially offset their their energy use and carbon intensity, um, which we know is going to be really, really important. If games want to become carbon neutral, which I hope they do, uh, that's, that's the number one message of my book is that games need to become carbon neutral. Um, they do have a, a, an environmental fo- footprint, a carbon footprint. Then, um, yeah, what do we do? How do we how do we reduce that? So, so, so really, where our project is about that very first step of finding out how big are the emissions and what can we actually do about them. Um,
0: how how are you going to offset those emissions? Is it something that you're going to get to the end and go like, "All right, time to pay the piper"? Let's put everything in it, or is it a project that's ongoing? Um, you know, what is it? What does it look like in, in in order to you know put your money where your mouth is in terms of getting to a carbon neutral position?
2: That's a really good question, um, and, and it, it is kind of hard. It's, it's sort of still an open open question that we've been talking about. Um, for instance, we talked about, like, um, whether it's possible to, say, use Terry's household solar panels to, like, offset, you know, the, the emissions of, of the studio. Doesn't quite work like that, the way the Australian energy market and the way the emissions accounting works means that you kind of are responsible for whatever energy you consume and you don't really get to pick and choose exactly where the power comes from. So like we don't have an answer yet because we, we're, like we're, we're in the very beginning stage of it. We haven't collected any data yet. Um, but there's a couple of options that it could look like. So number one is we could, it could involve buying carbon offsets which is just where you spend a little bit of money to pay someone to plant some trees or reduce deforestation or, or other, other projects like that. There are other wilder ones too, like, you know, mid-ocean kelp farming, things like that, which are not really existing yet, but they're like, you know, a few years down the track. Yeah, the that's carbon
0: capture ne- of uh, That's
1: my of next offset. business venture as well.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> like it's very exciting. It's, I think Tim Flannery loves that idea. Oh, yeah, he loves it. Um, but another alternative too is to to maybe do something at a studio level to incentivize employees to change behaviours um, and that might be something as simple as switching power providers. So in, just in the past couple of weeks we've seen in Australia um, the kind of like number one green power company, which is PowerShop, has been bought by Shell, which is like the number one polluting emitter in the world. That sort of has, has got a lot of people thinking about changing their power um their power provider to, to someone else. Um so yeah, maybe we could do something there.
1: Yeah. And and what's really kind of good about it is, you know, as as we're going to be tracking it, because we've been thinking about, you know, like what are these solutions going to be? And because we don't we don't know. That's the that's the whole point. Um, and so, but because it is quite granular and it is over like a period of time, you know, there's going to be opportunities and there's going to be like information that presents itself and solutions along the way and that's what we're, we're um, genuinely really excited about is we, we're going to get these things are going to present themselves and um, but it's just a matter of taking this kind of first step um, to kind of do it yeah and it's kind of interesting because I'm not sure um, obviously a lot of people haven't really gone for like funding before either the government or or private publishers and, and that kind of thing but there's a lot of requirements that they ask from you like. You know, they all have their own intentions and they all have their own outcomes that they're looking for. And they w- they want to make sure that your project and your team aligns with those things. And, um, you know, that might be like some some kind of diversity thing or accessibility and that that kind of thing. And um, I noticed that there, there was a distinct lack of kind of environmental impact as a requirement for a lot of these kind of funding things. And so um, another reason why we're using this this project, as an as an example, is because it gives us a really clear kind of time frame with these milestones from from funding to release, and so we also want to kind of use this as a way of saying, "Hey, look, it is actually quite easy for us to track this and figure this out." You know, maybe this could be an additional requirement for getting funding, particularly government money, and so um, that's another that's another thing which we would like to do and see included in in um you know a lot of these kind of funding opportunities
2: yeah it would make a lot of sense for someone like film vic to uh or creative vic to to say if you get funding from from us to make your game you need to do it in a carbon neutral way but to be able to even do that i think those organizations probably need um you know like more information about, like, what that looks like and what what sort of a requirements and burdens that imposes on, on developers.
0: I am really curious about that because, yeah, you said you're kind of in the early stage of this. What happens if it gets to the end and you realise, man, games are so bad for the environment, we should just really stop making them?
1: <laughs> to be honest, I, I, I don't need much of a nudge to get <laughs> to <the> conclusion. <laughs> I've already tweeted before, on, on, like, my dream job is to just, like, maintain a wetland so like if if that's (laughs) if that's where it gets to then you know see you later we'll go
0: go out to the bogs it's a very long resignation (laughs) maybe
1: (laughs) yeah quite possibly but that's it like you know if it is that bleak then you know see you later if if it turns out that we just have like this massive massive impact on the environment then you know that's that's a a massive ethical dilemma. And you know, I, I know what where I'm going to draw the line in the sand. So yeah,
2: I suspect that it it's it's going to it will be it might be a shock to some. I think to know exactly how extensive the the whole industry is, and I think this is what my my book is kind of pointed towards. Is that as an as a whole, the industry does have a, a really substantial impact. So my my findings of just the the game development emissions, um were higher than the entire film industry's emissions right and that's if you think about that that's like flying to on location shoots that's like driving trucks around cars around lighting generators on site
1: blowing up hospitals and blowing
2: up things yeah exactly (laughs) um so and i i think that so as a whole i think the games industry is is has a bigger footprint than most people would realize but individually and particularly small teams I don't think that's where the main impacts lie. I think it's in other parts of the industry. One of the other things my book found through the, through the research that I did was that smaller teams <clears throat> have a much harder time um, collecting that data because you're not all in the same space, particularly if you're, if you're distributed around the world. Uh, you don't have like a power bill for the one kind of building that everyone's kind of working out of nine to five. Um, and so that's been one of the challenges we've had to kind of address. Like, how do we actually, how do we measure everyone's power if it's Sam's working from here, Caitlin's working from here, Terry's working from here? Um, and so I think we've come up with a couple of useful solutions, possible solutions for that, um, which we hope maybe other people can can try out as well.
0: If you're talking of a studio like Sledgehammer, for example, one of the, you know, the big tent poles in Victoria, um, you know, which would have much more infrastructure, do you envision that it's going to be an easier process for them to measure what sort of impact they have or have they got too many things that it's, it's really tricky to sort of wind that into their processes now?
2: Um, i mean i 'm not particularly familiar with the sledgehammer uh, studio and like the size of it and, and how it 's kind of arranged but any time you have all of your employees in one location and that weren 't only doing the work from that one location um, yeah you can you'll have a much easier time than if if you have to measure everyone's energy use individually because um, because at this at the building level um, you know if you 've got a space that has a power arrangement where you're buying power from the grid and, you know, you pay a power bill, you can look at that and that gives you a nice concrete number and you can say, all right, we use this many kilowatt hours this month. We know what the emissions factor is in Victoria. Um, we know that our power company offsets this much because we buy this much green power or, or they don't. And then you can kind of use that data to say, all right, here's what our, our footprint was based on, on the energy we used.
0: There's been a bit of... I, I would say, a speculative gold rush into things like NFTs at the moment. I'm just wondering how it feels to be doing a project like this when you see a bunch of people, colleagues uh, that you may have talked to at a bunch of different events uh, going into this space uh, that is, by all accounts, not great for the environment, to put it lightly.
1: It kills me. I was literally, I was, when I was making my coffee, I was just kind of looking out the window this morning and I, there was a moment where I'm like, have I? have I given up on society? Like, have I, I was just thinking about like the, the monkey, like the, the board ape stuff and just like the, the, the clones of it and all that kind of thing. I'm like, have we actually, have we actually done it? Like, is this how society goes out? Is with like m- monkey pictures? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it really kills me. It really kills me a lot. Um,
2: I, I have a slightly – like, obviously, I'm, I'm anti-NFTs, but I'm anti-NFTs at the moment mm-hmm. at this particular point in time, right? So, like, in the short term, I think NFTs are horribly damaging to our ability to reduce our carbon emissions because they increase demand for computing. And now most of that energy at the moment is still produced by fossil fuels. Now, you project – that same system into maybe 30, 40 years in the future when we've solved the kind of energy generation problem when we're 100% renewables, I don't care. Go do whatever you want with your disgusting monkey JPEGs, whatever. But, like, until then, it's a mistake and it is a really, really bad trend that I I hope more people um, stop and think about.
1: Yeah, I think that's really it. And I think it's – I just – because I, I do agree with Ben with that. Because like if it is if it is renewable, it's not like there, there's any real you know ab- absolute issue with it. It's more just that now we're at a very a very critical t- tipping point where we sh- until we make that transition, we need to actually be really conservative, make really smart decisions, and really kind of. You know, make make sure we're putting our, our chips in the right places. And right now, we've absolutely done the opposite um, in a very novelty, ridiculous way, which makes it feel even more trivial. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, you know, like just as an example, like disposable masks for COVID, like they're just freaking everywhere and it's so much waste. It's like, well, there's actually, we have a global pandemic. There's going to be a, a bit of that. That makes sense, right? But, but this is just like they're not using it for any like reasonable application outside of just like, you know, digital assets and capital gain kind of stuff. So it's like, oh man, can we just, can we just hold off a bit, please? You know? Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's obviously just me. Um
0: I'm just curious as well, because you t- t- sort of mentioned that, you know, you'd like to see um, funding guidelines sort of, move to incorporate better environmental impacts um, and you know we do see that for film and stuff there are set rates for people who are on attachments and other bits and pieces for that. Do you think it would be a, a good idea eventually for someone to have someone like an environmental producer attached to their project uh, who could be able to do that and would that be something that you know maybe going through this project you'd consider uh, having someone attached just to keep an eye on, on where you sit environmentally? Yeah
1: Ben, get Ben to do it <laughs>
2: yeah i think i think we've seen it some like so larger larger firms overseas have um will have a sustainability officer um it's a, it's a it's more of a common role than than uh has been in the past but um i think for again for for studios the size of paper house there's really not really enough call for a kind of full time position, right? It's more like you, you could get someone to do a couple of hours a week or a couple of hours a month and um and I think that would be more than enough to to kind of cover you. And uh yeah, so if other people out there are interested, if you want someone to kind of do some of that work, you want to do a similar project, maybe you've got a little bit of funding to put aside to it, um yeah, get in touch and and let's talk about what we can do and um and see if we can make your studio green yeah and
1: and also like we want to develop tools along the way with this as well like there's obviously a lot of resources online and already people have had a crack at at different tools and that kind of thing but we want to at least you know come out with something that that small studios can use to at least you know themselves get some kind of snapshot um without because that that's the thing like a lot of these a lot of these issues become issues because there's, there's too much tr- kind of um, too many hurdles and too many things to overcome and, or it just seems too massive of a job. You know, you're already trying to make a game. That's already really hard. Trying to manage a team. That's really hard. You know, we've got like, you know, a bigger push to, for like stronger QA and all this other kind of stuff in the industry now that it, that is expected of small teams. And it's like, Oh, do we, do I really need to have to worry about the friggin' environment as well? Like, can can't someone else do it or whatever so we kind of want to just like minimize that as well um, and and that's not to say that we're going to successfully do it like we're also a small team this is also our first time we don't know what these these outcomes are but that that is also the intention we want to we want to try and help these other teams be able to do it um, in a way that they can just kind of like build into like stand up or just part of their production thing you know like there's no reason to think that that can't just be another thing that you know, just the the producer, you know, can do. Sorry, producers. Um, I know you've got a lot on your plate at the moment, but, yeah.
2: And one of the things, too, about it as, as well is that there still is a lot of complexity around this sort of issue, right? So when you're thinking about, like, measuring something, like just, just a couple of people working together and their cumulative carbon footprint, you've, you're thinking about, like, energy consumption, which means you need to think about, like, power use and you think about devices, and you think about ways you're collecting that data, um, it means thinking about if you're in Australia anyway, the Australian energy market and the way that works and, like, the prices involved and how you figure out how much carbon has been generated per unit of energy. These things are, like, it's possible to, to kind of pick this stuff up. Like, I mean, mostly I've, I'm just, I've taught myself by, by kind of looking into this stuff, by being really interested in it and um, and just having you know, a little bit of kind of background knowledge that's, that's relevant, just, you just kind of accumulate it over time. But for people that, that don't want to spend those like, hours you know, reading up on how the, the national energy market works in Australia, like, which I don't blame you if, you if you don't want to, having someone that can kind of tell you a bit about that or, or a tool that can say, all right, well, this is the amount of emissions that you have when you use this many kilowatt hours of power. I think is really, really valuable.
0: Um, I can't wait to keep talking to you about this particular project as we go along. Maybe we'll have to check in with you in six months' time, see how it's all kicking along. Uh, ben and Terry, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on SIFTA.
1: No, no problem. Thanks for having us. No My pleasure.
0: You're like insightful. Discussions about those high profile games that everyone's talking about, then why not check out Sifter's other podcasts, Mainstream, in your podcast feed right now? We talk about those high profile titles, those AAAs, some of those other smaller indie darlings, featuring insights from the award winning Sifter team and other special guests. You can find Mainstream in your podcast player. That's on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or head to the Sifter website. That's sifter.com.au. That's Terry Burdak from Melbourne Game Development Studio Paperhouse and Dr. Ben Abraham, a researcher uh, who's just about to put out a new book looking at the impact of the carbon impact of development of games around the world. One to keep an eye out for and we'll bring you another interview for that in a coming episode. My name is Gianni Giovanni. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Lightmap, our first for 2022. Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Adam Christu, Sarah Ireland, Viv Thumb. Our senior producer is Mitchell Lowe, and my name is Gianni DiGiovanni, and I'm the executive producer. If you like this, uh, you can support Sifter and independent journalism by going straight to the Sifter store. Uh, we've got video game d- inspired t shirts like the one I'm wearing right now. Um, You can pick up and support the work that we do. It lets us go to events, uh, buys new gear, all of that sort of thing. So that's sifter.store if you'd like to pick up one of these unique Australian-made designs and get it shipped straight to you. Sifter.store. You can find more about what we do on our website. That's sifter.com.au where you can find articles, you can find videos, you can find more podcasts, and much, much more, sifter.com.au. And while you're online, we'd love you to join our community. Uh, You can do that on Discord, sifter.com.au forward slash Discord, where you can share your creative work. Each week, we share the creative efforts of the people in our server, uh, calling it Sharing Sunday, and you can take part as well there. Uh, That's sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. That's all the time we have for this episode. Until next time, have fun.
2: Hi, I'm Kyle Poletta. And I'm Fiona Bartholomew, And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 12th of May. Xbox kills four Bethesda studios, including multi-award-winning makers of Hi-Fi Rush and Prey. Helldivers 2 players go to war, loving 200,000 negative reviews after Sony tries to force mandatory PSN logins on PC. Hades 2 gets a surprise early access launch this week, and it's already smashed the previous game's record. And Nintendo confirms we'll learn more about the next by this time next year. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website sifter.com.au every Sunday.